live in a world bombarded with noise. Advertising, social media, self-help initiatives, and an unending amount of information at our fingertips. With so many voices competing for our attention and attempting to direct our lives, how do we know which one to listen to? And in the midst of the noise, how do we determine the will of God? Can his voice be heard above all the others? Tune in and listen. It's such a lovely time in God's house today. I love David, and I've always quoted him when he says, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go. Let us go. I was glad. I was glad. You know, you can find a synonym for glad. I was joyous. I was overjoyed. I was completely blown away. You know why? Because the presence of God is, there, there is nothing you can compare to the presence of God. And that time was when they can only go into the presence of God. They didn't have the presence of God, you know, um, leaving them. So every time he got reminded, and I'm not sure how he got reminded, but in our day and age, how you get reminded is through your alarm. Sunday morning, it's time to go to church. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, the, the, the gladness that we have is not such that we only just wear our Sunday clothes. It's not just an opportunity to dress good. It's an opportunity to experience something. Hallelujah. It's an opportunity, you know, to get together, to fellowship. To fellowship. To get to know each other. To get to do life together. To get to speak words of power, words of grace upon each other. You see, never meet someone that you, uh, you leave them without speaking something amazing into their life. If you don't do that, it's just, um, it shows that you don't have words of power residing in you. Or you're just stingy. But hey, God has loaded you with so much that you don't, you don't hold back. You just let it go. So that they, they, every, every time people think about coming to church, not only just meeting with God because they already carry God, but meeting with you. They just know I will be seeing Gail today. You know, there were things that she said to me a few weeks ago, it's come to pass. Because we are people of prophecy. We are people of prophecy. And every time you speak to someone, speak words that will change their life. Speak words that will move them from where they are right now to the next level of their life. Because there's so much to be achieved. There's so much to be earned. And God has given us everything we ever need for life and godliness. Nevertheless, it takes one who can see to get there, to achieve what God has proposed for you. Hallelujah. And that is why this morning I'm talking about what I've titled Visualize. Visualize. Because if you can see it, you can take it. You can take possession of it. You've got to be able to visualize. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for your glory that is always present, that is always felt when we come together. We thank you for the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And Father, as we sit together to hear your word, we believe that we will hear words that will take us from one level to the next 
We believe that you, you will speak words to us that will challenge us to take the next step that we need to take. So, Lord, we are here completely open and ready to hear you. So I ask God, you speak through me. You might take from the things that we've discussed in the secret, but you might decide to, to do something completely new. I'm open to you, Father. So speak words that you need to say to your people so that we'll be blessed for it in the name of Jesus. And I speak against every spirit of distraction. It can never stand in the presence of your word in the name of Jesus. We we'll praise you because even our very own circumstances or troubles will never be able to stand against the words of God. So as we hear your word, the troubles are disappearing. The pain is disappearing in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's start with the scripture this morning. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse number 46. Are you there? Say to someone, visualize. Aha. Uh -huh. What does it mean to visualize? To imagine. To form a mental image of something. You see, there's so much that God has blessed us with. It's time for you to call it forth. And you've got to be able to see it to call it forth. When you can see it with the eye of your spirit, it is possible. Hallelujah. Let's hear, let's hear what happened here. Then, verse number 46, chapter 10, Mark. Then they reached Jericho. Sorry, I'm just going to read uh, from the New International Version. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, first and foremost. Um, Jesus was born uh, by Mary, right? Mary was the mother of Jesus, isn't it? And, and the husband of Mary was Joseph. Where did Bartimaeus hear David from? It sounds weird that he's calling upon Jesus, son of David, as opposed to Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. He was not just only looking at Jesus from the mere eyes of the ordinary, the Jesus that we know, that we see every time. He's not Jesus, the son of the carpenter, that he was looking at this time, or that he was beseeching this time. He was beseeching the anointed Jesus from the lineage of David, from the lineage of promise, from the lineage of Nazarene. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this because I want you to see something. In as much as we see this guy was a blind man, but there's something else deep inside his request that I want us to see today. Have a look again. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. How lovely. When Jesus stops, someone gets his attention and he goes, Call him. He could have said, well, you're calling me son of David. I'm not son of David. I'm son of J Joseph and Mary. But Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew who he was craving for. 
He knew he was not just calling on Jesus, son of the carpenter. He knew he was not just calling on Jesus, the 30-something-year-old Jesus. He was calling on someone who's been there from the very beginning. He was calling on the Alpha, the Omega. He was calling on someone who created the world. He was calling on the, the light that lights every man that comes into the world. That was what he was calling on. So Jesus said, call him. So they called to the man, to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, it's interesting how they said the blind man said. He had no name. But we had already seen his name, but they refused to call him by that name. They called him the blind man. So he adopted a circumstantial name. Because of where he was, that, that became his identity. And at times, some of us have come to the place where we ad we, we've adopted, you know, a name that is given to us due to our circumstances. But it's time to actually leave that aside because the master is calling. Because when the master calls, there's something he wants you to see. There's something he's calling you into. And guess what the first thing that he did was to throw off his cloak. Now, <clears throat> anyone who would put on that cloak and sit by the side of the street where Bartimaeus sits will be recognized as a blind man. True? If Bartimaeus all of a sudden was clean shaven and wore a suit and tie, like Graham most of the time, right? And look amazing. No one will recognize him. So at times, because of his circumstance and his positioning and the state of his mind, that becomes what is associated with his personality. And at times, no one wants to even get along with him. No one wants to know him. No one wants to be associated with him because he's blind. And in some areas of the world, they probably might call him different names. Because he's blind and he's sitting on the street begging, they could even call him a witch. They could call him uh, a madman. They could call him so many names. But when Jesus called him, guess the first thing that he threw aside? The identity, the identification, the identifier, the cloak. Why did he throw it aside? Now here he was asking for mercy. He said, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then Jesus called him and said, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Mm. Now, some of us will look at this and go, well, yeah, because he's blind, all he wanted was his sight. It was much more than that. Let me tell you a story. And somewhere... Um, well, probably not only that place, um, but it's a sample that I've been able to um, hear of the data, that people who are blind and on the street and are begging actually make more money than those who are actually working. So, for example, there, you know, there were these guys who were sampled in, um, I think, Sokoto State in, uh, in a West African country, Nigeria. And they were asked to leave the street because they were, you know, um, uh, they will be taken care of by the local government. And they refused completely because they felt like the kind of money they were making on a daily basis was much more than a, a, a civil servant will make in a month. So they were rich. And some of them had built beautiful houses in their villages. 
out of begging. And there are people who've even gone ahead to, uh, to pretend as though they were blind or they've been maimed, sort of, just to be able to beg. And that still happens in our world every day, everywhere. It might not just be the idea of physically sitting down and begging, but it could just be another way of trying to be quick on the government. And I dare say that this guy probably was not poor because he sat there every day. And think about it, if, you know, if on that road that he sat every day, um, a thousand people go past that road, at least there would be at least 25% of people who would look at him and feel like, you know, we can give you something. And that's 250 people. And if 250 people decide to give him $2 each in one day, how much would that be? That's five, how much? 5,000. Is that 5,000? 250. 500, thank you. Oh wow, you almost blew my mind. Okay, $500. And interestingly, very few people make $500 a day. Very few. So think about it then, if he made $500 a day in a week, because he has nothing else to do other than just to come in and probably might do about six hours while you're doing eight hours at work. And he's back at home before you could even know it. He sleeps in, he wakes up very early so that at least he meets those ones who are going to work in the morning and goes on his break halfway and knows when you're coming back. He comes back and sit down. Now, I'm saying all of that to say that this guy may not have been poor, Although what he, the way he presented himself appeared as though he was in need of something. But the only thing we were given here is that he was blind. Why would he want to lose what gives him, what, what is the source of his income? Why would he want to give that up? Do you remember this, in the book of Acts, there was a girl that was possessed by the devil, and Paul met with her and cast out that devil. But the, this girl was a slave to other people who would use her to see, uh, to read the future for people, and they made money off her. But this girl was delivered of the evil spirit that was you know, taunting her. But the owners were not happy with her. And because of that, they wanted to kill Paul. Do you remember that when Jesus cast out those evil spirits from that man in whom it says there were a legion of them, because there were many, and Jesus cast that evil spirit or the, the, those demons into swines, and the swines went into the sea and perished, that the owners of the swine were angry? Why were they angry? Because the swines were the source of their income. However, in the law of the Jews, you are not supposed to rear swines. It was against the law. And that was why Jesus saw it as, you know, that's okay, it's all right. Let them go into the swines, and they perished. But it made them money. It was source of their income. So in a sense, this guy, blind Bartimaeus, may not have been poor. But he needed something more. And what did he need and why did he need it? The scriptures tells us here, verse 47, say, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he could have heard that it was someone else. But why was, it, why was it Jesus? He could have heard that it was Peter or Paul or any other person on the street. 
But he said he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He started crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So why? Because he has heard of the things that Jesus has been doing. He has heard of the fame of Jesus. He has heard, and all he wanted to do was to experience it. It was not just the sight. He was calling for an experience. So when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Rabbi, I want to see. He didn't say, open my eyes. He said, I want to see. I want to see. And when you're talking to Jesus, the son of David, not the carpenter, but the son of David, and you're saying, I want to see, there's much more that you're actually asking for. I want to see your glory. I want to see your move. I want to be able to visualize my life with you in it. And that was why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I always pray that the, Lord of our, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal and intimate insight. That was what he was looking for. A deep, personal, and intimate insight. An experience. An experience that grants you the capacity to be able to acknowledge the breadth, the width, the depth, and the height of his love. So when he says, I want to see, it was, he was not only just talking about eyesight. Because he could have besieged Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't call him Jesus of Nazareth. You see, in so many places, he was called Jesus of Nazareth, and the healing still came. Not so many called him Jesus, son of David. Only a few called him Jesus, son of David. Most called him Jesus of Nazareth. And the healing still happened. But this guy did not beseech the Jesus of Nazareth. He beseeched the Jesus, the son of David. And when you call on Jesus, the son of David, what you are calling upon is the second person of the Godhead. You are acknowledging that this Jesus is not just a mere human being. You are calling upon the promise. You are drawing upon the very life that created the heavens and earth. So he was not only just going for, Lord, restore my sight. Although his sight was restored, but there was something much deeper. There was not much we're told about Bartimaeus after this time. But I'm pretty sure his life never remained the same. You remember that guy, uh, his name was, um, you know, most people know him as a short man. You remember his name? Uh, you see, I didn't even tell you. Because his situation situated him. <laughs> All right? At least you could recognize him. But this guy wanted to get God's attention, wanted to get Jesus' attention. He didn't call on him. He repositioned himself. Amongst others, no one can see him. And he thought, if I continue to stand here, no one will notice me. How much more Jesus whom people are thronging. I'm going to reposition myself where I can be seen. But in as much as he wanted to be seen, but that was not his purpose. His purpose was for to see Jesus. It's about being able to see him. And at that very point, you know, no one called on Jesus to say, hey, look at that man hanging off the tree. Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, 
Come down. I'm coming to your house today. You see, when you call on Jesus, when you get his attention, when you visualize his power, he makes himself completely available to you. He said, he lives in you. That does not mean he's effective in you until you draw on his power. Because there are people who would live with the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives for the rest of their lives, and yet no impact is made. And yet you're filled with the Holy Spirit. No impact. Nothing is working. The reason why the Holy Spirit is in you is to make impact in your world. That's the reason. It's not they're looking for a holiday spot. If he was looking for a holiday spot, there are other places he could go. But he decided to reside inside of you. And he's saying, call upon me. Take hold. Take advantage. So at times it's important for us then to visualize his call upon your life. Visualize the next level of life. I, I love what the scripture says, right? That he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ever ask or visualize. Huh. Let's stop there for a moment. So if he's able to do above all that we can ever ask or think, or rather visualize, it says, but that is in accordance with his power that is at work within you. So in other words, it has to align with his power that is at work within you. Huh. Okay. Now, he didn't say in, in line with his power that is available in you. That's not what he said. He says with his power that is at work. It's not the power that is available. It's the one that is at work. So you might have been filled with so much, you might have been laid hands on millions of times, does not mean the power is at work. So for the power to become at work in you, you've got to kickstart it. Right? You've got to kickstart it. And one way to kickstart it is by visualizing it. What can the power do in me? What is it doing? What is it doing? What can I do with this power that I have? What can I do? He says he's leading me. Where, where am I going? I may not see it, but I can visualize first. Imagine. Imagine. You see, we, we've just stepped into a new season. What does that new season mean for you? That new season might just be like every other day to some people. But for me, it's not like every other day. Why? Because every day I'm giving myself the opportunity to visualize, to bring into work his power. And when we talk about his power that is at work, it actually is his word. Right? His power is his word. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, is the power of God unto salvation. So, in other words, the only power that God has to save in the New Testament is through his word. The Bible tells us he sends his word and he heals them. So, his words is what carries his power. So if you need to be able to visualize where he's taking you to find yourself in the word, plug yourself in the word. You've got to plug yourself in the word. You've got to personalize it and visualize it. You know, I was saying on Friday, I said there's no place that the Holy Spirit goes without his entourage. He goes nowhere without his entourage. If the President of the United States would go with massive entourage, the Holy Spirit does go with entourage a whole lot. He is, 
He is the one who presides over the whole universe. Psalm 24 calls him the Lord of hosts. And wherever he is, his entourage is available. How about you visualize his entourage? How about you visualize that everywhere you go, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you have angels all around. That everywhere you step is a holy ground. What makes, what made the ground where Moses was standing a holy ground? Because of the presence of God. That was it. Moses did not carry the presence of God. But you carry the presence of God. So everywhere you go, it's a holy ground. But when your shoes are on and off, it's still holy. Because the Father, the Son, by the Holy Spirit, is now fully resident in you. Fully resident. He lives in you. Oh, do, do you understand that? When he says he lives, he lives, he lives. That's where he stays. If, if he sleeps, that's where he sleeps. But he never sleeps nor slumber. Right? Whatever he does, he does in you. So it's important to understand that you're not alone. Every time you go anywhere, every time you're thinking about anything, get to understand that the Holy Spirit who lives in you with his whole entourage. And at times it's important to study the scripture where you see the glory of God and visualize what is really going on inside of you every time. Visualize what is going on around you every time. You remember this man. His name was Elisha. Elisha had not been liked by the king. And the king said, go get him. And, uh, and the soldiers had come and surrounded the city because they knew the city where he was. So they, they came. They geotagged him and came around. And his servant came out and saw that the city was surrounded. And he ran back in and said, Master, we are surrounded. Elisha was not perturbed. He was not worried. And all he said was, don't worry about it. I said, no, do you understand what I'm saying? These are the king's army. We are surrounded. They are here for you. If they can't go with your living body, they will go with your head. And he just said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can understand and know that those who are surrounding us are surrounded. And the Bible tells us that God opened the eyes of the servant. I believe it was Gehazi. And, uh, and he saw that up in the mountain, all over the city, there were innumerable company of angels that were surrounding those who surrounded them. That was the case of Elisha. Do you think you are different? You see, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. So in other words, where your thinking stops, that's where he starts. Isn't that what that means? He said he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ever ask. So you're thinking, you are asking, oh, this is too much. That's where he starts. But you cannot ask beyond what you can visualize. You've got to be able to visualize where God is taking you as an individual. You've got to be able to visualize where God is taking us as a church to be able to understand. You know, see, so many times we've, you know, we've had dreams, amazing dreams, uh, and visions about what God is doing in our church, what God is doing in this city through us. 
although it's not particularly being done right now, but there is this beautiful understanding and expectation that God is doing amazing things through our church. Fantastic, and that's good. And there are so many people who've come to us and said, hey, I had a dream, and this is what I saw. And I go, thank you. We've seen it before. And thank you for just, uh, you know, being an additional testimony uh, to that. Nevertheless, some of those people who has told us those dreams, those amazing dreams, and what, what, what God was doing in the dream, that they woke up and they were so happy, and they couldn't wait to chat about it. Some of them are no longer here. I'm going to ask you a question. If someone decides to tell you, oh, do you know what? I found your wallet, and when I checked, you know, swiped your card in the ATM, and it showed $50 million, man, I know you're rich. Would that surprise you? Would that surprise you? No, you already know. Oh, you are happy for me, fantastic, great. You want to be my friend? We are good friends now. That's fine. They've just only understood the extent of, you know, of your riches. And they're happy that they know that. Or they saw a contract that had been signed off for, pardon me, I still use money, for $50 million, and your name is on it. And they found the contract and read it and went, I saw your name on our desk. The contract has been approved. And you're thinking, yeah, I signed the contract. It doesn't surprise you. But then, a few weeks later, the person walks away from you for whatever reason. Does that make you smaller, first and foremost? No. But why was that revelation given to the person? It is not for your good. It was for their good. So at times when you see dreams and visions, at times it's for your good. At times you're saying, no, I've got to go and tell this brother about it. There was something that is about to happen. It's not about the brother because God could show them the same thing. And it's for you. What is your role in the dream? What is your role in the vision? What is your role? Why has God shown it to you? And at times it's important. Because when we do visualize, we can create. That's number one. When we visualize, we can create. Now, when I say create, does not mean that you can you, you, you create something completely different. No, you take advantage of what is already available in the spirit and make it bear on the physical. You can take advantage. Number two, when you visualize, your emotion, your emotion is impacted in such a way that you feel completely completely blessed because when you visualize you can only but think about those things that you are visualizing for example the bible tells us about thank you holy spirit <laughs> now the bible tells us about when this mortality is taken away our bodies will change in such a way that we become immortals. Have you visualized that? Or you are allowing the pain that is, you know, the arthritic pain that is on your knee at the moment determine who you are. Have you visualized that the immortality that you are coming into, you can actually bring it to bear upon your physical nature today? You can bring it to bear. The reason, you see, that you would not need miracles in heaven. You need miracles here on earth. And miracles means you can bring to bear the things that are available to you in the spirit. It's available to you. It's available to you. 
so you can call upon it. So when God says you are doing, you, you will be great or enlarge your tent, what he's actually wanting you to do is to visualize. Visualize and enlarge it because to the extent that you can dream enlarging it is the extent to which you can grow. You can grow beyond how much you can enlarge it. Right? There are some people, when you say, um, you know, bring something, they bring only the portion that they feel will feed the many people that they can envisage. But there are those who bring much more than can feed people that they can envisage. And at times, it's just important to dream it and overdream it. Because at the point where you overdream it, that is when you've given God capacity to work. It's true. Because he can do as much as you can think, and much more than that. So when God has now, or rather, now that God has called us into a new season, let's not just sit back and think, okay, so how is this going to happen? It is your opportunity to dream it, to visualize it, to say, Lord, what is my place in this thing? Where do you want me to be in this? How much do you want me to draw out of this? Because it's not just about one person. It's not about a few. It's about everybody. When he calls you, he gives you the power to dream. And when he gives you the power to dream, he also gives you the power to bring it to pass by the Holy Spirit. The last scripture I want, I'd love to read uh, right now is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And I want to read it from the New International Version. It says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. The New, uh, New Living Translation has it this way. So when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Now let's think about the uh, NIV for a moment. So people cast off restraint. Nothing stops them. Nothing helps them to understand, oh, this is where we ought to be. This is what we ought to do. But when you have God's revelation, you know how to follow him. Because his word works in you. He speaks to you even before you start, if you're ready to listen. Think about in Judges chapter 16, we read about, um, what's his name, Samson and Delilah. You remember Delilah? You remember Samson? Who was the good guy? You say Samson. Who was the bad guy? You say Delilah. I can almost hear it from your voice. But Delilah was not a bad guy. She was not bad at all. She was not just the right person for Samson. She was not bad. Samson fell head over heels in love. That's it. Unfortunately, it was with the wrong person. But Delilah did what every other person would do. Think about it. If the government says, we will kill your children and your parents and your everybody that knows you, we'll kill them unless otherwise you find us the secret to the power that Samson has. What would you do? You go and report to the police? They're part of the government. What would you do? The Bible did not tell us that Delilah fell in love with Samson or the other way around. Perhaps she loved him, but she was not planted in his life. He found her and fell in love with her. Now, why am I telling you that story? The Bible already told us the kind of people God's people can get married to. When Samson, in chapter 16, when Samson came to his father and mother and said, I found a woman in Timnath that I love. Go and talk to their parents, to her parents, because I want to marry. The father and mother said to him, no, haven't you found someone else from your own village, from your own Jewish community 
from your own Hebrew community and said, no, that's the woman I love. Samson knew the word. Samson has an anointing on him. But he did not visualize the extent of the anointing. He knew he had strength. He had the spirit of might. He could do anything with his strength. Until this time, when Delilah came into his life, and the government system of, of his day, the Philistines, you know, threatened Delilah and said, if you don't tell us the source of his power, we're going to kill you. Many times they tried, right? They tried many times. But the Bible says that Samson would shake himself. He would just shake himself and every other thing would fall apart. So every time he put him to sleep and said, tell me what the source of your strength is, he probably says, you know, if you give me a cup of tea with two sugar, my strength will go. He said, okay, I'll give it to you. So he gives it to him. And then he says, the Philistines are here. He just shakes himself. That anointing comes back. Until they threatened her the more. This is your last chance. If you don't tell us, you are done. And she went to speak against to Samson. Not telling Samson, Samson, people are, you know, trying to kill you and kill me. And at the end of the day, Samson said, well, it's in my hair. It's in my hair. If you cut off the hair, the power will go. And guess who cut off the hair? It was not the Philistines. It was Delilah. And at times we get to a point where we get to a point where our emotions blocks our power to visualize. But the Spirit of God will still remain in you, but it's non-active. You still have the Spirit of God. The gift and calling of God are without repentance. You still have the Spirit of God. You can still pray and it will happen. You can still do whatever you want to do, but there's no growth because you can't visualize the next phase of God's work in your life. And at the end of the day, the Philistines came and he shook himself. Nothing happened this time because the power was gone. Until you realize that the power was actually not in the locks. It was in his spirit. And then he said, God, for the last time, just give me the strength that I may die with my enemy. He could have lived with his enemy, but when the enemy captures you, the first thing that he take away is your capacity to see. He took out his eyes first and foremost. He was captured without the strength. The Holy Spirit leaves. The vision is taken away. You are done. And it's important for us to continue to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to know exactly what to do, when to do it. Do you know he speaks to us every time? And at times we just intend not to listen to him. At times we, we get too familiar with his voice now that, you know, his talking is just like a background noise. Don't let him be the background noise. Let every word that he speaks inspire you to dream bigger. You see, you can still stand today and decide, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm all for you. And those weights that have been holding me down, I will let them go because of you. And your power to see will be restored. Blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, I want to see do you want to see his glory? Do you want to see his presence manifested? Do you want to see his power? Do you want to see, you know, in your generation that people live for him because of you? Do you want to see? Because you can. And visualize it. Think about it. How good will it be when I hear the Holy Spirit and obey him? How good will it be when my generation are willing 
to hear the words that are spoken through, the Holy, uh, through me by the Holy Spirit. How good will it be? How good will it be that I no longer measure my success by how many cars or how many houses that I have, but rather measure my success by how many lives I've impacted? How good will it be that we can impact our families and not stop there, impact our, our villages, not stop there, impact the whole community, and not stop there, go ahead to impact the next generation? How good will it be? Have you started to visualize that? Or have you given up dreaming? Now that we have stepped into a next season, it's time to visualize what is the next step. What is God asking me to do? Have you come to the point where, you know, I've done so many things for you, Lord, it's time for me to rest. And if it's time for you to rest, you know where to rest, you know, right? It takes you home. Come into my rest. It takes you home. But, but before you are called into rest, say, Lord, I'm here available. You remember Kenneth Hagin, and probably not so many of you know him. But at 80, he was still jumping and dancing in the spirit. Remember Billy Graham? And those are people in our generation. We're not talking about people in the Bible days now. We're talking about people in our own generation, people that we have seen or heard of. They did mighty things. And you can. You say, but those guys were old. No. They served God until they become, became very old. And they continue to serve God. You see, there's this book, uh, God's General. It talks about um, Smith Wigglesworth. The way he died, it was after a service, church service. Church service. He went back to his office. He said, it's time now. And they met him in a prayer position, and, and that was how he died. Served God until the very last day. We've got to visualize our next 10 years. If you can't visualize the next 50, visualize 10 first. God, where... This is where I want to be, with you, leading the way. I just don't want to work and build houses. Those will come. But I want to be with you, walking with you. Determine how he should be the one leading, not you. Determine how you slide over so the passenger seat while he is the one driving. We've been driving for too long. Aren't you tired of driving? Slide over. Let him take over the wheels. And let him take you to the destination that he's planned for you. In the name of Jesus. May I say to you, when you live here today, don't just hear this word and go, well, one of those words. There was no more shouting in this one. But there was just that understanding that you've got to give the control to the Holy Spirit. The next 10 years will be a waste of time if we don't give him control. To be a waste of time. We've got to be the ones leading other people. Why do I, what do I mean by that? Leading other people in the way to, to communicate with the Holy Spirit. Let them desire to communicate with the Holy Spirit when they see you. Let them see how much the Holy Spirit has been doing in you and through you so they can come along. Don't let them see you and not be empowered. Don't let them see you and just go away that way. Don't let them see you and be depressed. Don't let them see you and be discouraged. Let them see you and be empowered. And how are they empowered? By the words you speak, by the way you think, by how much you've given yourself to the Holy Spirit. Say nothing else but things that glorify God. 
Say nothing else. Say nothing else. You've got a story to tell. Keep it to yourself. Say nothing else. Unless it's a story that brings glory to God. Say nothing else. Don't empower people to fail. Empower them to prosper. By planting them in your, in your line of sight. Every time you're thinking, how can I help? How can I be of help? How can I be of help? Say nothing else. Visualize. Let, let there be millions of people that, that sit in your vision. You say, Lord, I'm going to start something in my own little community, but I know it's going to impact on so many. When Steve Jobs started Apple, he had a vision. And that's even someone who had a vision that was not um, a Christian vision. But it impacts even the way we communicate the gospel today. It does. Facebook. It does impact the way we communicate the gospel today. I'm sure that this service is being live streamed right now, not only on YouTube, also on Facebook. It does impact how many people can hear the gospel at the same time. What is in your vision that can impact the next generation and impact not only the people in the room, but impact much more? What are we doing? What can we do? And that is where your power of imagination comes in. Because the power of imagination is being gifted to you by the Holy Spirit. And it wants you to be able to think. Think. And then finally, carry one more thing. Because when you visualize, you should have the I can do spirit. I can. I can. It might be bigger than you. Still say, I can. You might not believe it. Say, I can. You see, the more you say it and keep saying it and keep saying it, at some point you believe it. But let your spirit take the leading. And say, I can. I can. People said, you know, who is going to? Be the first person to say, I will, before your mind kicks in. Because your mind kicks in, guess what you're going to say? You're going to be thinking about, uh, I've got to go to work very early in the morning. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. God is not looking for people who is looking for ways to creatively bring up excuses. God is looking for people who will say, who can I send and who will go for us and say, here I am, send me. Before you are thinking, um, hold on, hold on. Can I recall what I just said? No. Because immediately you say, here I am, send me. Every other thing aligns for you. It's true. Every other thing aligns. Every other thing aligns. Have you ever been in love? Where you're, the person that you're in love with is somewhere um, in, in, uh, in America or somewhere, you know, in Africa, somewhere. You don't mind how much you spend to go be with them for just one week. We did that. Spend the money. I didn't have much money. But I worked and worked and worked. I need to go and see my loved one. I only spent a week. And we went again. She went back to the UK. I came back to Australia for another one year. And guess what? Every day, we'll talk on the phone. I tell you, on a Christmas day, Sorry, I just spat. <laughs> on, 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 a, on a particular Christmas, Christmas Eve, we went to church, we came back, we resumed the telephone call. Over 13 hours on the phone. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will always be. And there were so many other things that I could do. I could make excuses. Sorry, I can call you because. But that was where my heart was. And I could visualize so many things into the future. I could visualize. There were things that could have, you know, been the excusable excuses. Or whatever that means. 
You know, I could say, well, I, I'm busy. Or, uh, you know, I can't come and see you because I don't have enough money. But you see, all things fall together when you say yes. All things align when you say yes. Before you think about it, say yes first. Say yes first. Because God is looking for people who will say yes. Because God can only, you know, lead people and use people who only can say yes and use them for amazing things. The wind blows wherever it lists. No man can tell where it's coming nor where it's going. But you hear the sound thereof. It says, such is one that is led by the Spirit of God. In other words, this person may not even know when, where next I'm going, but he has already said yes. My life is sold out to you, Jesus. I will do whatever you say to do. I'll be the first person to say, I'm here, send me. I'll be the first person to show up when you call. I'll be the first person to stand up and pray. I'll be the first person, the first person. You see, the reason why God gives you vision is because he knows that you are available. But when he gives you vision and then you bow out of it, that vision will only come probably once in a while and probably at some point it never comes again because you've never used it. See, God will open the eyes of your heart when you say yes. He will open your mind to imagine amazing things when you say yes. When you can visualize, the Holy Spirit is ready to flood your spirit with so many possibilities in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand on our feet? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I had a final point. But our time is gone. Long gone. For you to be able to be successful in how you visualize, learn to pray in tongues. Because when you start praying in tongues, it locks out you your mental process. It engages your spiritual process. And once your spiritual process is engaged, every other thing flows. The Bible tells us, it said, he that speaks, he or she, anyone who speaks in other tongues, speaks to God, not to others. So you might, you might feel a bit embarrassed that I'm speaking in tongues and no one understands it. And I don't even understand what I'm saying. But that's what the scripture says. So not to others. But that person emboldens themselves. So learn to speak in other tongues. You are sitting, you're not quite sure what to, what to do. Speak in other tongues. You are confused, confused, speak in other tongues. You've not been baptized because you probably might say, well, I don't know how to speak in other tongues. We're happy to pray for you. Because the barrier to speaking in tongues is your mind. Is your mind. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he gives you the utterance. But you see, we say to ourselves, I can't because it doesn't make sense to me. And it will never make sense to you. I continue to speak in tongues. It never makes sense to me. May I say, it doesn't make sense to me, but God speaks to me through it. It speaks to me. So for you to be able to visualize completely, speak in other tongues. Holy Spirit, take over my mind and show me the things of the Spirit. Show me the things of the Spirit. Show me the things of the Spirit. All over this place, can you lift your hands to him? Show me the things of the Spirit. Help me see those things that are only available in the spirit realm. Let me be able to bring them to bear upon the physical. Show me the things of the spirit. Show me the things of the spirit. And if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, and you don't know how to speak in tongues to release the next level of vision to you, this is your opportunity. And if you are that person, if you want to make it to the front right now, you're very welcome to come to the front. And we'll pray over you. We'll pray over you to release that power. To disengage your mindset that stops you from freely giving control to the Holy Spirit. So that the Spirit of God can engage with your spirit. If you are that person this morning, I'd love you to come up. 
See, I've told you a story. I've told you a story of how I, I don't, you know, I've said it many times. I said, I don't know how to swim. Do you know why? I can't even float. Do you know why? Because my mind is standing against my ability to let go. It's the same thing. You know, I know they say most Africans don't know how to swim. It's all right. But I'd rather not know how to swim physically than not to be able to swim spiritually. I ought to be able to float spiritually. I ought to be able to let myself go. Let myself go. Are you that person this morning? If you've not been born again, this is your opportunity. That's one. You may have been born again for a very long time and you have not received the Holy Spirit. This is your opportunity right now. Say, Holy Spirit, I want to let go of myself so that you can take over me. This is your opportunity. If you are that person, can you come up here? The message you've heard was produced by The Transformation Edge, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com, or on Facebook, The Transedge Church. You may wish to call us on 02-4731-2419. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable.